following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. today. Those of you who know me know that I really do not like public speaking. Um, in fact, I know some of you out there are just as nervous as I am for me, and <laughs> I thank you. We'll get through this together by God's grace. Um, but when, when Jill had asked me to speak um, on generational transfer and how Linda modeled this for me and mentored me so well, I knew that it was something that God wanted me to do. Um, how could I not share with you the kindness of God in giving me such a gift in Linda? Jill recently also mentioned to me, and I think it's a very good point as I look out amongst all of you today, that some of you may not have had the opportunity to know Linda. Our church has really grown over the last couple of years, and because of her illness the last year of her life, she really wasn't able to be at church. So considering that a good part of my talk today is about Linda and the impact that she had on my life, I'll just share a little bit about who she was. Linda was an amazing woman. Sorry. She loved Jesus and his church. She was my mother-in-law, my mentor, and besides Rex, my closest friend. She, married, she was married to Bill, who was an elder here, and the two of them were very instrumental in helping build this church with Dave and Jill and a core group of families. She worked very closely with the other elder wives in planning and praying for the direction of our church. She was very involved with the women's ministry, led Bible studies, taught at women's functions, and was a spiritual mother not only to me, but to many of us here at CLF. She made an incredible impact on so many chances to know her. I'm sorry. You would have loved her. But thanks be to God, we have eternity. I would like to start with reading a verse that really embodies what mentorship is and is an example of what I experienced with Linda. She not only shared biblical truth with me, she shared her very life, the ministry of discipleship, and I have been forever changed through it. First Thessalonians 2.8 says, So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very selves, because you had become very dear to us. The first time I remember meeting Linda in high school, her and Bill were chaperoning at a UBC harvest party. My friends and I were taking pictures, and I heard her wonderful, contagious laugh from across the room, accompanied by her genuine smile. I remember thinking, Lord, I really need to know that woman. I don't know her yet, but I want to be like her. Little did I know that God was going to answer my prayer far beyond my expectations. There are so many things that Linda taught me. So many practical things, biblical principles, but mostly Linda taught me by how she lived. Her life was characterized by loving God and loving others. She was real. She was relatable. Giftings that God gave her to encourage me and many of us here. She saw the purpose and the beauty of generational transfer. And because of it, I'm up here today sharing with you. Linda taught me so many things and there's just no way that I could cover them all. Her willingness to pour into my life and to live out the godly mandate that God has called us all to is an amazing testimony. So my hope this morning is to share with you a few main areas that the most 
as I watched and learned from her and then share how I am trying to implement those areas that God has called me to and then pass it on to the next generation. So what is generational transfer? Psalm 78 tells us that generational transfer is one generation proclaiming the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and of the wonders that he has done so that they might know them and set their hope in God and not forget all that he has done. This mandate to generationally transfer biblical truth is all throughout scripture. We see in Deuteronomy 6.2 that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life. And again in verses four through nine, hear, O Israel, O Lord, our God, our Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. All through this, although this passage is speaking specifically to teaching our children, we can see the importance of the command to transfer to all generations what the Lord has done and all that he requires. Psalms 145.4 says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. This is one way the church, the body of Christ, gets to walk out this great commission of Matthew 28. came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given. To me, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This should be our way of life, continually declaring the mighty acts of God, proclaiming the good news of the gospel, and living it out to teaching generation to generation. This has always been God's plan. So we have this example of generational transfer that flows throughout all of scripture. And in Titus 2, we get a more zeroed in perspective of how we as women are specifically called to teach or to train and admonish younger women what is good, to encourage them to live their lives according to the holy scriptures, the purpose being so that the word of God may not be reviled and that in everything we do, we may adorn the gospel or make attractive the doctrine of God, our savior. here is the importance of God's word and knowing sound doctrine. I have been very blessed with examples of what this looks like to be grounded in the word of God. From an early age, I can remember my dad faithfully every morning reading and studying God's word. I was so affected by this that even though I didn't understand all that he was reading, I did see his love for God and his love for the word. I saw how it affected and it transformed his life. This example put a spark and a desire in my own heart to know God and to read his word. I remember I was pretty young, probably fourth or fifth grade, and I was determined to be like my dad and get up early. It was like 4.30 in the morning that my dad would get up and read every morning. So I was determined. I tried morning after morning, but would fall asleep soon after I got up and went out into the living room to be with him. But one morning... I remember making it almost all the way through a whole passage of scripture without falling asleep. It was a great morning and a great memory with the Lord and with my dad. Still, I never have to wonder where my dad is at. and He's praying and he's reading God's word. I say this to encourage you. 
Never underestimate the impact that we can have on our own children and others by being faithful to reading God's word and prayer as we live it out among one another, seeing its transforming power in our lives and our actions. As I grew older, the Lord continued to put others in my life to teach and show me not just the importance of God's word, but how to study. Out of high school, I lived with Dave and Jill for a short time, and I remember them teaching me specifically how to study. I remember my eyes being opened to the different types of Christ throughout the Bible. All the stories I had read through the years as a child and teen now took on a deeper and exciting meaning. They all pointed to Christ in ways I had never seen before. Then came the big words like doctrine and theology, huge in my heart, and I just couldn't get enough of his word. This continued as I watched and observed the same in Linda. The biggest and most definitely most influential thing that Linda modeled for me, not just in her living or in her teaching, but in her living, was the importance of sound doctrine. The importance of being a study of God's word. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Titus 2.1 must be the foundation of our generational transfer. The word doctrine needs instruction. Biblical doctrine teaches us about the character of God, his path to salvation, and his standard for holiness in our lives. True biblical doctrine incorporates the whole counsel of God and will protect us from being tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, as Ephesians 4.14 warns. God's word must be supreme in our hearts. Psalms 1, 1 through 3 said, says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law, or in the instruction of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does he prospers or will be profitable. One of my favorites, Psalms 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In Albert Barnes's commentary on this passage, he says, It is a light which shines on the road that man treads so that he may see any danger. The expression is very beautiful and full of instruction. He who marks the word of God, his guide, and marks its teaching is in the right way. He will clearly see the path. He will be able to go and avoid all those bypaths which would lead him astray. He will see where those byroads turn off from the main path often at a very small angle, as though it seems to not be divergence. He will see any obstruction which may lie in his path, any declivity or precipice which may be near, and down which a dark night one might fall. Man needs such a guide, and the Bible is such a guide. What need we all have for this in our own lives and as we help others along life's path? The word of God must rule our hearts and guide our lives and our generational transfer. It starts in our own hearts first. We cannot give away what we do not have. Like I said, Linda modeled this beautifully. The word of God ruled her heart, affecting how she lived, how she made decisions, how she walked through different trials in life, and how she walked through suffering. It is wonderful, full of joys and blessings. But... It is and can often be full of heartache, trials, and suffering. Without the right view of the purposes and the character of God, sound doctrine, we can lose our way and we can lose heart. I not only got to see this in her life played out as she counseled and exhorted me in the same way, 
We had countless talks. I remember often going into her office and sitting down in the chair next to her desk. I would be having a particularly hard day or week. I'd be struggling through some difficult time or situation, and I would just pour my heart out to her. The good, the bad, and the ugly, and she would listen. At times, she'd let me wallow a little bit in my own struggle and even tell me that she understood. But then she would always point me back to Christ. She would say, okay, Shelly, now what? What does God's word say? What is he teaching you? What is he wanting you to learn? What is he requiring of you? Now go and do that. Because I saw her walk this out in her own life when admonishment came, and it definitely came, that her instruction and the hard truths that she would share with me were coming from a place of love and personal example. Faith is often revealed through trial. Linda wasn't perfect. She struggled, but she didn't waste the struggle. She invited me in to see what God was teaching her through it. This was huge for me. I think of the trials and the struggles that she went through in just the 25-plus years that I knew her. Financial struggles, different relational heartache and conflict, health issues. The most impactful way that she modeled this was for me was through her fight with cancer. The way she trusted God and her death. Genuine faith revealed through suffering. She believed the word of God to be true. And was able to see it all through the lens of scripture. God is sovereign. He is good, faithful, and he can be trusted. I've always loved the story of Naomi and Ruth. It has always been so dear to my heart. Earlier on, it was because of how Ruth followed Naomi around everywhere. Even amongst much of Naomi's urgings of Ruth to leave her, Ruth continued to be persistent and staying close to her. I can most definitely relate. As I said before, I knew that God had placed Linda in my life for a reason, even before I knew exactly how close we were going to be, literally two feet from my back door to her back door. Or figuratively, her becoming my spiritual mother. We often joked about this. I really would follow her around. I remember saying to myself, and sometimes I'd let it slip to her, no, Linda, you will love me. You will mentor me, whether you want to or not. And of course she did. And out of my persistence and her willingness, we created a friendship and a beautiful bond in Christ. I'd like to point out that it doesn't just take a willing older woman to walk out generational transfer. It also takes a teachable one. In the book Spiritual Mothering by Susan Hunt, which I will quote from a few times today, she says it is the combination of younger women who are teachable and Godly older women who are willing to open their hearts and their lives, both seeing the privilege of obeying the Titus mandate. In further study of the book of Ruth, over the years, I realized Naomi and Ruth's bond was much stronger than mere friendship. Naomi lived out her life before Ruth. They lived life together. She didn't shy away from showing the pain and the sorrow that she went through. She also lived out her faith before Ruth. Again, in the book Spiritual Mothering, Susan writes, This reality of Naomi's faith caused Ruth to tenaciously cling to her. When Ruth says, Don't urge me to leave you. Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. You can feel her determination to be identified with the God of Israel. The bond between them was their common commitment to Jehovah. 
Naomi's devotion to God and belief in his sovereign hand was revealed by her response to the suffering that she went through. And this drew Ruth's heart even closer to her and her trust in the Lord. Naomi doesn't shy away from or deny the suffering. She is transparent in her affliction, but her sound doctrine produced in her sound living. Being rooted in God's word allows us not only to go through life's hard times and suffering, but it also allows others to see how we can endure and grow. In Ruth 1, 19-22, at first glance, we might see that Naomi is extremely sorrowful of heart and maybe even a little upset with God. It says, So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. The whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She turned to them and said, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? But as we go deeper and and can see and know the heart of what Naomi was going through, we know it was much more going on. Matthew says, afflictions will make great and surprising changes in little time. May God, by his grace, fit us all for such changes, especially the great change. Naomi signifies pleasant or amiable, Mara bitter or bitterness. She was now a woman of sorrowful spirit. She had come home empty, poor, a widow, and childless. But there is a fullness for believers of which they never can be emptied, a good part that was to have it. The cup of affliction is a bitter cup, but she owns that the affliction comes from God. It, was, it well becomes us to have our hearts humbled under humbling providence. It is not affliction itself but affliction rightly born that does us good. Sound doctrine matters. Linda, like Naomi, struggled and even had a few the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me moments, but she was able to see what God was teaching her through it. I think of the trials and the struggles that she went through, and ultimately through her diagnosis, her cancer, and her death. They were un. But because she believed the word of God to be true, she was able to view it rightly and with joy. Though afflictions and suffering came, she knew God could be trusted. Now comes the really, really important question. How is this even possible? It is only through the work of Christ. Thanks be to God. What he calls us to, he prepares and he equips us for. This strength does not come from ourselves. We need the power of God at work in our lives. Another quote from Susan Hunt. Sound doctrine produces sound living. These qualities are not produced by self-effort. They are an outward expression of an Second Corinthians 3.18 says, And that we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are becoming transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We become what we behold. When we behold the fake promises and the priorities of the world, we become out of control, chaotic, self-centered, and overwhelmed. But when we behold the glory of God, we be- let us be women who hold God's word supreme in our hearts. May we behold the glory of God and display it to others. How have I applied and transferred? This is actually was like the hardest part in preparing for this is trying to explain how I have applied these truths and explain that 
explain that have, how they have been transferred to me. While I feel like I have a long way to go in this area, I am striving to model to my own family and to the young women that God places in my life the importance of these truths. Whether it's helping my kids navigate through conflict or setting down with someone who has questions, I want to give them just my opinion. I want to give them biblical truth. I have seen and counseled by the word of God and not mere opinions or feelings. I want to give the same counsel to others. So when I'm sitting across from Layla and she asks a really good and hard question, which she's really good at doing, I may say something like, well, this is my first thought, but it doesn't really matter what I think. Let's find out what God's word says about it together. Or hope, talking about doctrine or whatever it is that we may be talking about. All of that. Or drinking coffee with my new, and I don't even know where you are, Cicely, where are you? My new amazing daughter-in-law. I want my words and my actions to encourage her and reflect Christ in our conversations and our encounters. Which brings me to the next point. Relationship. God uses imperfect and humble people. Aren't we glad for that? If you knew Linda, you knew that she was relational and she was real. Her confidence was in the Lord and who he said she was. This allowed her to freely love people and not worry so much about the small stuff. I found this out about her pretty early on, getting to know her. I remember a particular story that is stuck in my mind and spiritually. Rex and I had just begun courting, and Linda was leading a small Bible study out of Bill's counseling office in town. After the study, she was going to be taking me to lunch. We'd finished up the Bible study, and it was just her and I there. She ran to the bathroom really quick, and as I waited, nervous, of course, because this was Linda Hurd, the woman I had been admiring for a few years now, and really was looking forward to getting to know. Of course, I wanted her to like me. I'm 18 years old now, and I'm just beginning this relationship with her son. It was exciting and scary all at the same time. So you can imagine all the thoughts that were going through my head, all in the small amount of time that she was gone. Thoughts like, oh my goodness, alone with her. What are we going to talk about? What if she doesn't like me? You know, um, what if she asks me a question I don't have an answer to? Then out pops Linda from the bathroom, huge grin on her face, sweater wrapped around her waist. And she says, well, Shelly, I just started my period early and I'm a mess, but it's not going to ruin our time together. Let's go get some good food and talk about my son. <laughs> I, I was instantly put at ease. I can't re remember the particular topic of that Bible study that day, but I can tell you that I encountered Jesus through Linda in a real and genuine way. Being the love of Christ through being relational and genuine. I said that this encounter impacted me both practically and spiritually. Practically, it burned into my brain, never leave the house, unprepared for the inevitable, <laughs> even if it is a week or two off. Also, I saw that we don't need to be perfectly put together. In fact, we are so much more relatable when we aren't afraid to show the messiness of real life. Spiritually, though, through Linda, I saw that God uses not perfect, but real and relatable people. I saw that relationship and friendship modeled this so well, and it took the fear and the pressure off of me having to have it all together. Her focus was on loving God and his people and building friendships, not on how perfectly she did it or how seamless her encounters with others went. This helped shape the way that I wanted my time with others to be. 
I want others to feel and know that I am real, I am imperfect, and right beside them in this whole process. I am their friend, and I genuinely love them. Which brings me to the importance, again, of relationships. Nurturing mentorship or discipleship doesn't just happen. It is established through friendship. It is investment over time, and it is rooted in biblical love. With a lot of wonderful things. She was a leader in our church. She was my mother-in-law, my mentor. But through it all, what I felt from Linda was that she was my friend who genuinely cared for me. In regards to generational transfer or mentoring, how often do we tell ourselves, I'm not qualified, I don't have anything to offer, it's just not my gifting, I'm too young, I'm too old, too busy. I know over the years I've had this very conversation with my, and yet we are reminded that this is a biblical mandate to us all. We are called to live out the beauty of the gospel together in relationships. We are called to be spiritual mothers and point the next generation to Christ his gospel, and to righteous living. We are called to be spiritual daughters, humbly learning and pursuing. We are called to be spiritual sisters, spurring one another on to love and good deeds. And what he calls us to, he is faithful to equip us for. As Second Peter 1 tells us, he has given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. I think an important thing to point out here outgoing or others focus. I remember her and Bill telling me that she was very, very shy and had to make herself go outside to be around people. In high school, she actually got talked into a lot of things that were way out of her comfort zone, like the cheer squad or running for Miss Douglas County, which she got runner up in, running for Miss Timber USA. She actually won that one and won a brand new car. Lots of stories that go with that one. She is, she even joined speech classes She wasn't a believer at this time, but God was still guiding her and equipping her. She just thought she needed to get outside of her shy self, but God was drawing her and preparing her for his purpose. This getting outside of herself or being others-focused, not self-focused, was something that she continuously worked on. There was a running joke that started with Linda's dad growing up when her family was out and about at different family gatherings or whatever. When Jack, her dad, was ready to go, he would say, well... It's time for me to water the strawberries. This always indicated that his social meter was running low and that he was ready to go home. Linda had that same social meter, but different. She was a doer, a worker, and did not like sitting around. She always wanted to be accomplishing something. Instead of saying, I need to go water my strawberries, she'd say, okay, I really need to go get something done. Her natural tendency was to be home in her garden or working on some project that needed to be done, which is good and right in and of itself, but could easily lead to isolation and self-focus, doing what I want to do. She saw this in herself and worked very intentionally to die to her desires and to live for the Lord and accomplish what he wanted her to accomplish. So how did she do this? What was her motivation? From an early age, when she thought it was just a need to not be shy, God was directing Later on, it was her love of God and her understanding of biblical truth and the desire to live for his purposes. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, it says, For the love of God, or the love of Christ, controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their sake died and was raised. The word control here means to compel, to press in upon, 
as to impel, to urge, or to direct forward. The love of God controls or compels us to humbly submit ourselves before him and obey what he is calling us to do. Matthew Henry says, We should not make ourselves but Christ the end of our living and actions. And it was one end of Christ's self-love and to excite us always to act under the commanding influence of his love. A Christian's life should be consecrated to Christ. And then do we live as we ought to live when we live to Christ who died for us? So when we are tempted to stay inside our comfort zones and not walk out the different callings that God has placed on our lives, let us remember the gospel and what we were saved for. Let us be women who are real, relatable, dying to ourselves and are being controlled by the love of Christ. Now, practically walking this out. So we see the mandates to transfer biblical truth to the next generation, having its foundation rooted in sound doctrine. We see the importance of walking it out in real, relatable, and humble ways. And how then do we do this practically? I've said this before, but simply put life and inviting me along. It wasn't complex. It was finding God in the mundane and using life to apply biblical principles, using her passions and the giftings that God had given to her to pour into me. Linda transferred her love of mentoring to me, even though she didn't necessarily see it as something she was particularly gifted in. She would say to me often, I'm not really gifted in this, but you are. This is your gifting, Shelley. This, you need to mentor young women. She may not have seen that this is her natural gifting, which is absolutely crazy to me, because how many of us here were mentored by her just by watching her live and her interactions with others? But she truly did believe that this was something we all needed to strive for. God has uniquely made us and specifically placed us exactly where we are for a reason. He has given us all different giftings and abilities. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4, 7, it says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is an area where we can see the creativity of God's character in creating us all unique and different strengths and different interests, all for his glory and to be used to encourage the body of Christ and to advance his kingdom. Linda loved gardening and she was amazing at it. She could make anything beautiful, specifically her flower and vegetable garden. It was no small thing. It was huge, it was organized, and it was beautiful. She just simply invited me into what she was uniquely gifted in and what brought her joy, and I pursued every opportunity. I never really loved gardening, but I loved Linda. So every year, pretty much every gardening season, for over 24, give or take a few years, we were out there together. I definitely don't remember all the things that she taught me about gardening, but the life lessons the encouragement, exhortations, theology that she taught me while we were working together, doing what she loved, were invaluable. I learned from her the importance of hard work. Linda loved to work hard. She was big on being productive. I was not exactly really big or good at being productive when Rex and I first got married. Quite the opposite, actually. But I can remember her saying to me often, Now, Shelly, come on, you can work while you talk. I was like, but I can't. This was a very practical way that she mentored me. 
I now hear myself saying the very same thing to Lydia often. <laughs> Whether we were cooking dinner, working in our garden, or some other thing we were doing together, she would say, Shelly, our husbands work very hard every day to provide and take care of us. We need to work just as long and hard and enjoy our work. We need to be productive women. These conversations that we would have in her garden about marriage, raising children, conflict resolution, all the areas that God was working in both our lives, his faithfulness over the years, and his sovereign care. I could go on and on about how she used everyday life and the passions and the giftings that God had given her to share life with me and to share what God had taught her through the years. Linda knew that I was never going to be a master gardener like her. In fact, we had many laughs over this fact. I was lucky, still am, if I manage alive. But she saw something in me and encouraged me in the areas that she saw were my giftings. My giftings are different than hers. But I can take what she transferred and apply it specifically to mine. It's not about mimicking the exact traits and qualities. It's about taking them and living them out authentically as the Lord directs. Linda exhorted me to pursue and obey all areas that God was calling me to which she trained young women, especially starting with Lydia. She saw this in me way before I did, and besides Rex, she was my biggest encourager towards this. She saw that I loved talking with and engaging in the lives of young women. She saw God drawing my heart in that direction and saw young women's hearts being drawn to mine. Through the years, as God was working in me and stirring my heart towards mentoring, I began to pray and seek specific ways that I could use what he was teaching me, and like Linda did with me, began to invest in others. He was faithful in bringing me opportunities to walk out this generational transfer that we're talking about. It has different seasons of life. Early on in the life of our church, it was caring <clears throat> for young singles and newly married couples in our care group. Living life, talking through different challenges such as relationships, finances, marriage, child-rearing, and all that goes with that. A little while later on, the Lord brought more specific mentoring opportunities with young women. And out of all of these, I have been amazed at God's goodness and his direction. Though it is not always easy, God is always teaching and giving opportunity. I remember when Candace asked me about five years ago now if I would assist her in coaching at UBC Volleyball. At first, I was like... <laughs> totally out of my comfort zone, and I'm not qualified for that. I mean, it had been like how many years since I'd played? Um, so, yeah, I was at first no. But when I talked to Rex about it, to my surprise, because if you know my husband, you know he's not the biggest sports fan. Um, but he was like, yeah, that's a no-brainer. You love volleyball, you love spending time with Candace, and you love spending time with young women. Linda said exactly the same thing, and that God was giving me an opportunity to serve and invest in the areas that I loved. I am humbled and I am amazed at what the Lord has done and continues to do, all that he faithfully continues to teach me. It's not just about what we learn. When we invest, we grow. We learn. In God's kindness, when we step out in obedience to this calling, he gives us sweet friendships. How good is God to give us this opportunity through many of different, different ways to love on amazing young women, to show them how to apply biblical truths that they are learning and then transfer it to their life. Just like Linda with her garden, we can use whatever season of life we are in and whatever passions and giftings that God has given us to invest in others. And what comes out of it is truly beautiful.
I do feel the need to add a little caution here. We need to be aware that we can't sins. I know that I am. Linda and I's relationship was very unique and came with its own blessings and difficulties. Because of our proximity and to each other in our living and in our ministry, our story looks very different than most. I want to encourage you to look to the Lord, to seek him as to what your story is going to look like, taking the biblical principles of generational transfer and applying them to your own life and experiences. Seek where God and ask, who is he bringing into your life? Who has he already brought into your life? Linda never really had a Linda to mentor her, but she saw the Titus mandate and, was, and how important it was and began to walk it out. Our church does this so well. I have seen the beauty of generational transfer displayed in a myriad of different ways, and it is so exciting. As women in the body of Christ, we are called to proclaim the glorious deeds of the Lord and speak of the wonders that he has done to the next generation, teaching what is good. Whatever season of life we are in, whether we are single, married, widowed, we are all called to share the gospel and our lives with younger women teaching and encouraging them in our relationships, in our conversations, and in our living. What a joy and privilege it is to walk this out together in ways uniquely fitted to our own giftings, all for the glory of God and the benefit of the body of Christ. Let us be women who practically walk out this generational transfer with the uniqueness and the power that God has given to us. I'd like to close with a little poem. Author Unknown. It's called Call Back. If you have gone a little way ahead of me, call back. T'will cheer my heart and help my feet. And if perchance faith light is dim because the oil is low, your call, your call will guide my lagging course as wearily I go. Call back and tell me that he went with you into the storm. Call back and say he kept you when the forest roots were torn. That when the heavens thundered and the earthquake shook the hill, he bore you up and held you where the very air was still. O oh friend, call back and tell me, for I cannot see your face. They say it glows with triumph and your feet bound in the, in the race. But there are mists between us and my spirit eyes are dim and I cannot see the glory, though I long of word of him. But if you'll say he heard you when your prayer would say he saw you through the night sin darkened sky. If you have gone a little way ahead, O oh friend, call back. It will cheer my heart and help my feet along the stony track. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.